Well, hey, good morning. Is that a cool bumper video or what? Wow, okay, guess not. All right, we'll pass that along and we'll try to change it before next week. Good to be with you. My name's David, I'm on staff, and uh, I say this every week. You know it's coming. I'm just excited you're here because we're gonna have a lot of fun today. I can't wait to dig in. But first of all, you're gonna get a history lesson uh, of me. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about me that maybe you don't know. Uh, Dad's a pastor, grew up, we were in central Illinois, and so elementary school, I'm gonna start there. And uh, elementary school, loved gym. Gym was awesome. Loved the fitness part, loved the game part, loved the dodgeball, um, hated the running. I don't know if I have anybody else in here like that. Hated it with a passion. And uh, I have this thing called asthma. And I loved to play the asthma card, as I call it. Um, so when our teacher would be like, hey, guess what? We're running today. We're going to do laps around the gym. I'd go, I oh, can't wheeze. I have asthma. I... And she would let me. She'd say, okay, you can sit out. Or like the rope. You remember the rope that I don't think they do anymore, probably because of liability. But where kids would like shimmy up the rope, I'd like jump on and I'd hold and I'd go, mm, asthma, I can't. And so they let me off every time. It was awesome. So I hit fourth grade and uh, my family moved. My dad got a different uh, position as a pastor. And so we went from central Illinois to Chicago. We were in Chicago suburbs. And I remember my first day, it was first hour gym class, fourth grade. This is when gym was ruined for me forever. I walked in and everybody was wearing the same shorts and t-shirt. Like they had uniforms for gym. And I just went, uh-oh, they take this way too seriously. Because fourth grade, keep in mind, fourth grade, we had a change in the locker room. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I'm going to go do it in the stall. You know, I was just, I was this bashful kid. So here we are. And uh, um, my least favorite day of the year, bar none, all throughout elementary, high school, it doesn't matter, was the day that we would all line up as a class at the door and we would walk outside and we would go here. Anybody else? Worst day of your life? So we walked out, we took the ride, and I just got gut rot. I mean, I'm like, I'm going to be slow, and I'm going to wheeze, as we all know. And I just hate running, and I hate the mile, and I never look good when I do it. And so uh, I was like, well, good thing I brought my asthma card today. And uh, she, you know, our gym teacher lined everybody up on the start line, and she's like, all right, here we go. Everybody line up, you know, faster ones. You guys can move to the, towards the front. And I went, I know where I'm going. Right to the back. And uh, I just actually went up to her and I was like, forgot, you know, and so, hey, I know I'm new. I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I actually have asthma and so I can't run the mile. And she looked at me and she said, I have asthma, get on the line. <laughs> and I went, what? I mean, my whole world had just shattered because it was way easier to have asthma and not do anything than to run the mile. So I ran the mile, I probably pulled like a 14 minute mile. You know, there's a kid walking backwards that still beat me. So I hate running, you get a little insight into me, um, but wow, why do I tell you such an odd story, right? For those of you that have asthma, keep using that card as long as you can. Um, here's why I tell you this. This gym teacher, her name is Mrs. Schneider Morris, okay? And she, I came to love her. I didn't love her at the beginning, okay, for obvious reasons. Her son was a Marine. I mean, he used to like crank push-ups in the morning before we showed up. He's like, yeah, this morning I did 200 with my legs straight out. I went, I can't do two. And you did two, I mean, you just, so Mrs. Schneider-Morris, his mom, okay, so just give an idea, Mrs. Schneider-Morris, she was the first person that I had ever met who didn't let me use an obstacle in my life as a roadblock or an excuse. That here's the thing, the whole, my whole life, here's something that's harder for me, here's a challenge for me, this makes it uncomfortable for me. My entire life, I had pulled out the excuse card and I went, bam, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And everybody had let me off the hook until her. 
And she went, guess what? I have the same obstacle and I am proof that you can overcome that. So get on the line and start running and we'll make you better. Did I love the mile? No, nothing changed. I still hate it. I still don't run. But I tell you that story because I want you to think about, is, is there anything in your life that you use, you kind of keep it in your back pocket and you use it when you have to and you go, hey, here's a disability that I have. I'm not a good reader, you know, or I, I didn't grow up. Uh, in the church, I don't really know much about God or, you know, this, this is just something that holds me back. And so I often just use this as an excuse instead of seeing it as an opportunity to overcome an obstacle. So it leads us to this week and uh, we're, we're talking through this series called Unexpected. Unexpected, uh, this is why I love this bumper video so much that most of you don't, obviously. Um, but this video outlines like all these different miracles that happened in the gospels. And so there's miracles with fish and there's miracles with food and there's miracles with healings and, and all sorts. And we highlight a bunch of those in the video, which is why it's so cool to me. Um, but we're jumping in. And so if you have a Bible, I'm gonna ask you, pull out your Bible right now. Uh, if you have a phone, pull out your phone. If you have a, a hard copy or like a physical copy, pull that out and turn to John 5. We're gonna be in John chapter five. It's the gospel. It's a little bit more than halfway through it. Um, but we're going to follow the life of Jesus for a little bit this morning. And Jesus is going to walk us through, or we're going to walk with Jesus through a particular miracle that he did. This one's so fun. John five, starting with verse one says this, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so here's the thing, uh, it, it outlines a little bit, like sets up our location of where we're going. So it mentions, first of all, the Sheep Gate. Let me show you a picture of the Sheep Gate. It looks like this. And the city of Jerusalem had a giant wall that went all around it. In fact, it still does today, I believe. And it has all these different gates all the way around. And different gates had different purposes. And so the Sheep Gate was the gate in which sheep would be outside of it. I'm gonna show you another picture here in a second. Sheep would be outside of it right around here, like this area, and they would take perfect lambs, perfect sheep for the sacrificial system, and they would enter through a specific gate. Imagine the smell for a second, okay? You got barn animals all right outside the gate. Is this a coveted gate to go in or enter through? Probably not. So here's what the text says. Here's what John shares with us. Is he says, outside the sheep gate, which we're gonna go one more picture here. Outside the sheep gate, which is right around here. We're gonna circle it for you. Here's the sheep gate, and then here's the pool of Bethesda. He sets up the scene, and just to give you a reference of like how big this pool is, this pool right here, Pool of Bethesda on the bottom part of your screen, is the size of a football field. It's 20 feet deep. It's this huge area, and it had like a natural pool or like a natural spring that fed into this pool. And so the handicapped, the disabled, the crippled, the blind, all of them, people who, who just had some sort of physical or mental ailment, would get dumped there. And that's where they would be. And so just imagine the scene where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are all surrounding this place that are, are just all together. 
And why would they be there? I mean, this is a fair question. Why would you put all of them in the same place? And why would they be located to the sheep gate, which is not the coveted gate, as we talked about? Why would they drop them off? Um, sometimes if you notice in your Bible as you read, there's a, a, a little marker that says like a note or an asterisk. And what this is saying is this note that I'm going to share with you was added after the fact. So it wasn't written by John, the original author, but a scribe who was writing it and just went, I want to add one more note so everybody knows why all these people were staying here. And this is what it says, John 5, verse 4. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. And so this was like myth. This is what they believed. And so all these people would be gathered around. And when that spring would stir, this is a natural occurrence. When the spring would stir and the waters would move, not being touched by anyone, what would they think? They would think an angel or a god or something would come and stir the waters. And so the first one into the water would be healed. Now, was that accurate? No. But this is what they believed. In fact, the god that they ascribed this to was a god called Asclepius. Asclepius, uh, for those of you in like the medical world or have taken a ride in an ambulance or anything like that, you know like the, the snake that they have on that like rod on, on the side of ambulances or hospitals or whatnot? That is actually a reference to the god, lowercase g, fake, god Asclepius. And so this is something that has tracked. These people just believed that this God was involved in some sort of healing, and so they would wait for an opportunity. They would leave it up to chance and imagine the race that would take place when, as soon as you see the water start rippling or bubbling or whatever, people would run in and try to get in and try to get healed. So Jesus is walking through John chapter 5, verse 5, and this is what happens. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, so he can't walk. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Is that an odd question to anybody else but me? I mean, what's the answer? Duh. I'm here, aren't I? I've been here for 38 years. I've been waiting. I've been desiring for a chance. I try. I just, I can't get in. I, of course I want to be well. Of course I do. So Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And look at this word here. This word get. Um, in our language, it's, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, get, you know, to do or to be. Um, but in Greek, when this was actually written, it's this really interesting word called genomai. Everybody say genomai. Congratulations, you're Greek scholars. Genomai means to be or to become. Let me read a definition or a description of this word so you understand the significance of the question that Jesus asked him. It says this, Genomai means to come into being or a manifestation implying motion, movement, or growth. Interesting. Jesus is saying, do you want to transform? Do you want to become well? He doesn't say, do you want to walk? He says, do you want to become well? And this is so interesting. It says this is used for God's actions, not as the man's. For God's actions, emerging from eternity and becoming, means showing themselves in time in a physical space. Here's what that, that's a lot of like scholarly jargon. Okay, let me translate. Here's what he's saying. Um, 
the man hears a physical question. Do I want to be well? Do I want to be healthy? Do I want to walk? Jesus is asking a spiritual question. Do you want to be well in your soul? So what does he say? John 5, verse 7, here's the man's response. Sir, the invalid replied, he doesn't even know who he's talking about yet. Isn't this awesome? Jesus is like undercover boss. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. There's no one here. I try to get in and I can't. No one is here to help me. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. I try. I try to move. I don't know if you noticed. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm on this mat. I brought up a mat just so we can see it. Jesus, here I am. And I'm just, I'm on my mat. I'm just laying on it all day long. And then I see the water stir and I get excited. And I just can't get off my mat fast enough. I can't get in. And it's almost as if like you picture, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody like this, but they're going, I can't get off. Maybe you can help me in the pool. Why don't you just sit right here? Like, I'll just, hey, come here. I'll just make some room. You know, I'm just going to lay it out right here. Jesus, you just, you sit right next to me. And when it moves, you just pick me up and you run like your life depends on it. How about that? What a good idea. He's just, he's so caught up with the card that he's played for 38 years. Just like my asthma card. I can't do it. I try and I fail. It's too hard. I can't get there. I, I'm not fast enough. I have this disability. Jesus, I, I can't. Maybe you could help me. But he's chalked up this relationship with a God that could heal him, that he believed could heal him, to some impersonal, left-up-to-chance type of God who just heals at random whenever he pleases, not in a, in a relationship, not, not in anything of significance or a value. No, just if I get lucky, I'll be healed, but he doesn't even recognize who he's talking to. Jesus is right in front of the man. It's just funny. John 5, verse 8, here's Jesus' response. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pretty straightforward. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And imagine... You're a disciple of Jesus, and you hear Jesus just say these words. And maybe if you grew up at church or, you know, you spent time in scriptures, you read, you, you know that Jesus does a lot of miracles. But at this point, the only other healing type of miracle that is recorded in the Gospel of John is Jesus heals this noble man, this, this wealthier man's son from afar. That the man comes up and he says, Jesus, please heal my son. He has a fever. He's about to die. He's really sick. Just heal him. And Jesus goes, okay, we can head. And he said, just say the word. And so Jesus says, your son will be well. And the man turns around and leaves. But the disciples with Jesus, as far as we could tell, never knew he was healed. So this is the first one, and imagine the disciples as they're looking at a man who spent 38 years sitting on a mat, waiting to be healed, using the car, just going, I can't do it, and my body's frail, and my body's weak, and I can't get in there fast enough, and the disciples are thinking, he doesn't even know who you are. How would you feel if Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk? You sure? Jesus, you sure he's not too far gone? I'm not convinced he has a chance. And you can almost picture Jesus looking back and saying, exactly. So he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. John 5, 9. 
says this, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Think about the significance of this for a second. The mat that had carried the man for 38 years was now being carried by the man. Wow. And imagine the scene and the disciples and the confusion and those that are around and they go, I know him. And what happened? He didn't get in the pool. And yet here he is and he picks up his mat and he starts walking and just imagine, I just, I want to say this over and over. Imagine that you are a disciple of Jesus and you just see this guy get up and walk and defy all odds and Jesus just slips away into the crowd and disappears. What's going through your mind? Here's questions I would have. Why did he heal him? Why? Or, or maybe another question, maybe you might jump here. Why didn't he heal everybody else? There's hundreds all in this area. Why didn't Jesus just walk around and heal all of them and just restore all of them? And yet he chose the one who seemed so far gone and so far removed and had no chance and he got up and he took his mat and he walked. Here's what I wanna tell you. There's a purpose to everything that Jesus does. And there's a purpose to this miracle. Here's the deal. The purpose of a miracle is to reveal who Jesus is and what he's capable of. So I wanna focus on both of those, but I'm gonna focus on the second one first, what Jesus is capable of. Here's what's so funny. Uh, what's this guy's name? Did anybody catch it in the text? He doesn't have one. It's not that he doesn't have one. It's not shared with us. Why would that matter? The unnamed man is pretty easy to relate to for many of us. That a lot of us, just like I shared earlier, like this asthma card, a lot of us, when Jesus asks, if he would ask us, do you want to be well spiritually, we would have some sort of card and go, you don't understand what happened to me when I was younger. You don't understand what happened with my parents and how one of them left or how one of them abused me. You don't understand uh, just the debilitation that I have to get through. You don't understand the pain that I've gone through. You don't under Jesus, you just don't understand. I've been like this my whole life. I don't really have a chance. And so this unnamed man is so easy to relate to because here he is and he's dwelled on this fact that, that he doesn't have a chance, that healing is not possible for him. And he is still thinking physically and yet Jesus is thinking spiritually. Many of us have settled for just the same version of God that this man had, a weak, impersonal, random, left up to chance type of God. God, I've prayed for healing in my life and it didn't happen. I guess you're not who I thought you were. God, I've prayed for deliverance. I've prayed for restoration of this relationship. I've prayed for a reconnected marriage. I've prayed for so much, God. I've prayed for my husband. I've prayed for my wife. I've prayed for my kids. I've prayed, and nothing happened. I think maybe you're not as big as I thought. And yet Jesus, as he moves in right towards this man who had this type of view of God, says, I have something more in mind for you. I want to show you what I am capable of. But notice he never stops at the physical. That word genomai is so important for us to remember because genomai speaks to getting well, to transformation. It didn't just speak to physically being able to walk. And isn't it true 
that sometimes we don't recognize God when he's right in front of us. You ever thought about that? Sometimes I think about just my life and my journey with the Lord, and sometimes it's like, wow, I saw you were working right in front of me, and you brought different people in front of me, and they spoke words to me that I didn't even realize this was you breaking in to give me a message or to do something powerful in my life, and I missed it. Just like this guy that's been sitting there waiting his whole life for a chance. So Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? And so we talk about what is Jesus capable of. Jesus demonstrated his power to heal the man's body as a demonstration of what he can do with his soul. Prove it? Let's keep reading. John 5, verse 8 says this. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. For you church people, right? Those of you who know or you study or you've read a lot of scripture, you know there are rules attached to the Sabbath, are there not? You can't do certain things. There was a religious group of people. They were called the Pharisees. They loved to be the self-imposed cops. Some of you have them in your families. They love to walk around and police everybody and go, you can't do that. Stop saying that. I heard a word. So here's the Pharisees, and they're walking around, and they're policing on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. And so the Jewish leaders, these are our friends, the Pharisees, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, can I tell you something about the Pharisees? They avoided the pool of Bethesda like the plague. That that those at the pool of Bethesda were written about in Old Testament law and Jewish tradition that made them unclean and unable to approach God in the holiest place in the temple. They were not allowed to access it. And so Pharisees, if they got close, if they touched, if they were made unclean ceremonially in some sort of way, they would be prohibited from going to the temple for a certain amount of time until they could purify themselves and make them clean. So here they are, and they see, I'm sure, hey, I know that guy. He's been there for 38 years. He's a whiner. All he does is complain. He can't get into the pool. Here's the Pharisees. They come up and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But here's what the man says. You got to love the response. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Don't blame me. I'm just doing what I was told. I don't know if you noticed. Walking right now, but I got my mat. Don't you come to me. Go to the guy that healed me. And so they say, who is it? Who's this fellow? I love that word. Who's this fellow that healed you? Who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea where he went. I have no idea where he even looks like. I wasn't really paying that close attention. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there later. Jesus found him where? Say it with me. Come on. At the temple. Remember what we were just talking about at the temple? How certain forms of uncleanness would prevent you from getting into different parts of the temple. Jesus comes back and meets the guy where? Interesting. Jesus is up to something. And said to him, see, you're well again. Stop what? Sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man went away 
and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Can I point out what Jesus didn't say? Jesus didn't say, stop carrying your mat. Because who told him to carry his mat? Oh, okay, good, yeah. Who told him? Jesus. So Jesus, get this, this is so brilliant of Jesus. This healing, this miraculous healing that took place, the question Jesus asked, do you want to be well? Do you want your heart? Do you want your soul? Do you want your relationship with God to be well? But the man can't hear it because he's dwelling on what he's going through physically. And so Jesus says, I'm going to demonstrate my power to you. I'm going to heal you physically as a representation of what I can do for you spiritually. Now Jesus loops around. He finds him later and he says, hey, stop sinning. Is sinning a physical question or a heart question? Heart. He says, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you as in a separation in your relationship with God that the real God isn't some God called Asclepius that's left up to chance and random and impersonal. The real God, the real God is personal. The real God is me. I'm right in front of you and I I touched you and I'm with you and I talked to you and the real God is so intentional and strategic about those he loves. Uh, The real God is random. So stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus wants to see a transformation of this man. But the Pharisees couldn't see it. And here's my challenge to you today. Just find yourself in the story. Who who do you align with most? Or who do you you think, wow, maybe I'm, I'm more like them than not? Here's the thing. The Pharisees were so caught up with following the law down to a T that they couldn't see what was right in front of them. That when they see this man walking for the first time in 38 years carrying his mat, what they don't see is a miracle. What they see is a violation. And oftentimes in church, here's the scary part or the sad part, is oftentimes a lot of us that attend church regularly or grew up attending church or uh, whatever it is, we study, 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 and we read so much and we become so aware and so in tune with, with this that we forget who wrote it and we forget what God is up to, and we forget the heart of what God desires to do in his people, and so sometimes we become so smart, we're dumb. Have you ever met a person like that? I had an eighth grade teacher. He was so smart, he made up a game. He took a history textbook, and he said, here's the game, we're gonna play this for the whole hour. Everybody gets a question. We'll go through it until we run out of time. Ask me any question about anything that you find in the book, and I will give an answer for you. This guy was never wrong. You know how annoying that is? Never. He stumped the teacher was his game. This guy was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He couldn't remember where he parked his car every day if his life depended on it. He was so smart. He was dumb. Smart in the really, really big, you know, detail type things. And yet, on the most simple parts, he missed it. Is that possibly what's happening here in the story? Here's the Jewish Pharisees, the leaders, the church attenders, those who were trusted to share and steward God to the people, that they were so smart, they were dumb. 
and they couldn't see how God was working right in front of them. So here's the second thing I want to point out. The purpose of a miracle is to reveal who Jesus is. So who is he? How does he show us who he is in the story? Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn back or look at John 5, verse 2. I'll throw it up on the screen here for you. It says this, Now there is in Jerusalem near the what? Say it again. The Sheep Gate. Now, I had to read through this about 20 different times before I noticed this, that this was significant. That the pool of Bethesda was near the Sheep Gate. And I explained to you already what the significance of the Sheep Gate is. But here's the thing. It was used for sacrificial lambs for the forgiveness of sins. That the priests and the Levites and those that were in charge of like administering the gospel to people, that those were in charge of sacrificing and making things right between you and God, would take sheep and a sheep, a blemish-free sheep, would take the place of a human and it would die, it would lose its life, and it would be, its blood would be spilled on the altar because sin and brokenness created in, in their relationship with God, just like us, had to be remedied and something had to die, something perfect something blemish-free. And so the sheep gate was used to usher in sheep after sheep after sheep after sheep for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. Which gate do you think Jesus entered to go into the temple after being at the pool of Bethesda? The sheep gate. And if you think I'm reading too much into this, check this out. This is John 10, starting in verse 7. It says this, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the what? Gate for the sheep. That Jesus looks at the people that are there and he says, You guys need to understand, the sheep gate is a representation of me. That that." Not only do I walk through the sheep gate, I am the sheep gate. That they would understand this is how it works, this is how the temple works, this is how you get close to God, is that when you've wronged someone or you've made a mistake or you've sinned or you've done anything like that, you must go through and your sheep, the sacrifice, must go through the gate to get into the temple where it could be made right with God, where you could be made right with God through the sheep. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm the sheep gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Anybody who tells you different is a liar. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Let's keep reading. Then the thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The significance of the healing at the pool of Bethesda wasn't just to demonstrate the power of Jesus physically in this world, which is still alive and still active today. That God works through his disciples and part of his church to bring healing, not just spiritually, but physically. But the physical healing was always supposed to set them up for the spiritual healing that God really cared about. So Jesus says, I am the sheep gate. I am it. It's not just a metaphor, it's me, that if you want to go before the Father, and if you want to be made right, I am the sheep gate, I am the sheep, I'm the one that lays down his life for you because you are my sheep. So here's the thing, I think a lot of us are either in one or the other category here. I think the first category is this, Um, some people in here just need to know who Jesus is. That Jesus uses miracles in powerful, incredible ways, even physically, to set up for what he's doing spiritually. Some of us just need to know who Jesus is. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb that took our place, that made us right with God. Some of us either need to know that or need to be reminded of this is who Jesus is. This is who we follow as the church. But here's the, the second group. I think there are others of us who need to know or need a reminder of what Jesus is capable of. That we need to remember that Jesus is not just capable of healing us physically, but spiritually. Maybe that's a broken marriage. Maybe that's an addiction. Maybe that's sin in your life. Maybe that's just a lack of purpose and calling. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Whatever it is, Jesus wants to move in your direction and bring healing, not just physically, but spiritually for your soul. And some of us need a reminder that Jesus can do it. That there is hope for you. That there is hope that your loved one will come to know the Lord. There is hope that the healing will take place. That there is hope that the marriage can be restored. Some of you just need a reminder to know that Jesus promises hope. I love that Meg read that earlier. That hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Here's my challenge for you. Don't settle for a small God. Jesus demonstrated just in this story that he is personal and active and intimate and close. He's not random. He's here. He's present. And he wants to work in you and in those that you love. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for the healing at Bethesda. Thank you for choosing a man just to put on display, one who we would all write off and think is too far gone God, a lot of us, maybe that just feels like us. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. There's no hope for me. I've been this way my whole life. I can't get over it. I've tried myself. I've tried every other option. God, I just pray that you speak to this person right now, whoever it is in this room, and that you just remind them, I am so capable of conquering anything that holds you back. God, I also pray for the group in here that just needs to know you. God, we just thank you that you are the good shepherd who loves his sheep, us, who lays down his life for us so that we might be made right with God. We thank you for who you are. We love you for who you are. 
we just pray that you would continue to move in us and through us in a powerful way that gives you glory. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.